just overcome adversity mm-hmm. and decide like I am more than my story. I am more than my anxiety. And while yes, anxiety, I see you. I recognize you're trying to tell me something. Thank you for that. Yeah. But you don't get to decide. You don't get to call the shots. You don't get to decide who I am when I show up in this. I decide. Mm. But there is a real, I think almost like a, a real journey that we have to be on and a choice that we make to separate the two, separate ourselves and understand that we are not our anxiety. Our anxiety tries to wrap itself around us and almost like we're like to stick us in a catacomb of fear. Yeah. And the truth is like, you're not what you're wrapped around. Like you're not the costume that you have on. Like you are who you decide to be at your core. But until you go on a mission to extract the two and master your mindset and really choose your life, guess who's going to keep calling the shots? Your anxiety, your fear every time. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are doing well today. My next guest is one of my fellow sisters from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Mastermind I'm in this year. Her name is Bailey Fruman. I was really excited to feature her today because she's awesome. And a little bit about her, she's a psychotherapist, motivational speaker, coach, and author. After realizing that her work-life balance was suffering, she decided to make a change. And since then, she's been leveraging her skills and expertise to author her book, Own Your Power, Your Guide to Feeling Powerful, Fearless, and Free. Through her unique coaching programs, Bailey has helped hundreds of leaders and entrepreneurs to realize their higher purpose and maintain a balance within their lives. Isn't that what we all need? You know, we want, want to figure out our purpose and maintain balance. That's that's what keeps us going. And I really had a powerful conversation with Bailey, a lot of fun. And I'm just super grateful to be able to connect in, in this space and be able to have a great conversation that I know will help impact you guys. So If you guys haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple. Make sure you stay on top of the episodes. They come out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I wouldn't want you to miss that. And if you get value out of this, share this with a friend. Let us know what you think. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Bailey Freeman coming right up. And Um, we are on. Bailey, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Lance. Thank you for having (laughs) me. I'm excited to be with you guys today. (laughs) Sorry to cut you off there. What were you going to say? (laughs) <laughs> um, I was, I was going to do a, I was going to do a, a, a mic test with you and how oh, it's good. Was. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's always funny when, cause when you hit record, it's like everyone has to become like, like, Oh, we're recording now. I got to like get into this like shift, you know? And it's so funny because I always like to keep it as like, as if our whole conversation was like always being recorded, you know? And, right. and like just, and, and it's so funny because in the podcasting world, it's like there's a shift, but I almost, I don't want that shift to happen, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. And I hear what you're saying. Like people see the red light and they're like, yeah. okay, now I have to be like the HGTV camera version of myself. And it's like, okay, like, yeah. yes, and yeah. uh, let's be people. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, I've tried it as well where I just, as soon as we get into the Zoom call, it's already recording. And I'm like, we're going. Like, oh, 
Right. <laughs> Here we go. Well, we're already doing that. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really happy to connect with you, obviously being part of Fit for Service and, you know, got to meet you in Tulum and we didn't really get to chat that much one-on-one, but we were in the same group and yeah, it was just such an interesting experience because there's just so many personalities, so many people you're trying to figure out like, what is everybody doing? Like, why is everyone here? You know, and I'm so glad that we get to connect now and we get to dive in and find out more about what you're up to in the world. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, when you're, when you drop in, you know why you opted into an experience, right? You're like, yeah. all right, yeah, I'm into this. And then you're like, but wait, there's like 99 other people. Why did they say yes? <laughs> what are they yeah. doing here? Yeah. Is there a yes, my yes? Like where, how is it that our path is converging at this point in time and in, in our life? And yeah, I know. I always get curious about just the nature of, of how your path intersects with my path. And at that moment, I think it's powerful. Sometimes it's for a blip and then sometimes mm. like it's meant to converge for a while. So. Yeah. And there's so many different personalities and it's always fascinating to me. Like why, like why, how did we all end up? Like, what's the reason, you know? Like why, what, what is the, what is the reason? Because there's, there's obviously a reason why and maybe it's a smaller reason. Maybe it's bigger. I don't know, but I always get real curious as to like, why are we, should I be making more effort to like explore these relationships or the ones that flow naturally? The ones like, do I try and connect with everybody, you know? And it's been a real interesting game trying to navigate that as well. Right, right, right. It's funny. It reminds me of a, a meme that I saw yesterday. And, you know, some of those are truth to them and sometimes there's not. But it was, do you ever meet somebody and you realize that you can't wait to spend the rest of your life without them? Because <laughs> oh. you're reading this and you're like thinking it's like with them, like so romantic and without them. And I, I do think that sometimes in life, like, we have different energies yeah. that, like you said, you meet somebody and like the conversation flows naturally. And there's other times when it feels like an effort. And I feel like with the fit for service community, everyone, every conversation I had, it didn't matter if it was like on my way to get a cup of coffee or the person I sat next to, it just, it always flowed. Mm. And you realize that, that, that experience brought together a group of people who you know, in some ways wanted to be on the same wavelength and in some ways wanted to have a similar experience and in some ways were open to experiencing or cracking open or being a seeker and explorer. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's interesting how like almost like a moth to a flame, there's simpler, a similar flame can draw so many different types of moths to it. Yeah. And us specifically with Tulum being kind of the last social gathering before all of this madness started. Right. <laughs> like, imagine if we all knew that. If we were all like, hey, so you know, guys, uh, if you, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything for the next like four months. <laughs> so uh, how are you going to live this experience? Right. And, and that's also a really great question, Lance, because like, would you have lived it any bit differently? Be like any bit uh, less inhibited. And I guess I just immediately go there because, you know, I think that anytime you're dropping into a community, you start with social niceties. Mm -hmm. And would you have changed the way you showed up in any capacity if you knew that that was quote unquote the last time for a long yeah. time? Yeah. I mean, would you have? 
That's a good question. <laughs> you know, in this, in like the split second, like gut reaction, I feel no, because I feel like when I was there, I played full out. Um, I had such great conversations, made great connections, like didn't hold back, was just an, decided to be just an open vessel for whatever experience I was meant to have. But I can definitely, you know, attest to moments of my life where, you know, you go back and you're like, if I knew that that was my one, ch my one chance or my one moment, would I have captured it any bit differently? And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's curious. That's a good question. I, I don't, right now, I don't feel like I would have. Um, how about yourself? What do you think? Well, yeah, again, you know, I've never really thought about that and just having this, this conversation about it is interesting because I beat myself up for the longest time because I went in and I, I went back to my old ways of being the party, the party guy. And I was getting into tequila and, you know, we had a house, the Castle Ganesh house. And it was like the house where everybody sort of gathered and partied. Oh, I about that house. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, me being a bartender at heart, working in the bars for so many years, I think a lot of my deep rooted traumas that, you know, I used for so many years covering it up in the bars. Now that I've discovered what that was, that kind of came out and that was who I was comfortable with was being that person that's going to like bring people together through alcohol and cause that's what I did. And that's where I felt validation. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I, I, I guess I was nervous about meeting such a group of people that I knew were, well, I'm not going to take away, like, I'm not going to say like, I don't have knowledge or experience, but I knew that there's a lot of people that are smarter than me and I can accept that. So it was hard because I went into it being like, how do I show up in this? And I showed up, you know, as immediately the old Mexico, I'm in Mexico. I got a drink. I got to be like this. And it just felt easy. And so it's interesting because although I had a great time, like mm -hmm. socializing in that container, because we right. did have a great time and there's, there's certain it, alcohol becomes a little bit of a social lubricant in a way. Right. Sure. And, but I also sacrificed my capacity for absorbing information that I probably could have had a better, done a better job with, with like the core, the workshops and stuff. I was sort of like kind of spaced out a little bit most of the time, mm. but I had a great time. But like you said, back to this answer is that, I felt guilt for the longest time because I was like, that's not me anymore. You know, I was like, I'm not that person. Why did I show up like that? But then now I'm like, well, I'm kind of glad that I had a bit of a time there. <laughs> like, you know, because then all of a sudden, look what happened. Right, right, right. So it's, right. it's a weird situation. It is a weird situation. I love that we're like reflecting on this because I like haven't thought about it in this capacity. I, I've had those blips where I've thought to myself like, wow, that on the timeline of my life was right before this all happened. And yeah, I remember getting on the plane and someone asked me, where was I in China? And I'm like, oh, I'm in Mexico. Like, no, I was not in China. <laughs> like, not recently. And I remember that happening again in the timeline of my life, but backing the train up. So two things that you said were interesting is reflecting on that, but also like the imprinting of our environment, mm. right? So my past experiences in Saloom were both retreats prior mm -hmm. to this one. So there was almost something about like literally the, the smell of the salt air, the breeze, because you know how windy it is there. Yeah. 
it was something about that that already had created an environment of almost like safe container because I'd been there two other times in the like retreat experience, safe container of just dropping in and doing your thing. Mm. You know? So I think in some ways, like that was already a lubricant for me was the environmental imprinting of like, who did I expect to be there? Well, this is who I was last time I was here. So it made sense. But you know, to your point, you're like Mexico, tequila, shots. That's my imprinting. That's who I was last time I was here or vacation or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, in, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because if you're, you were there last time and you were experiencing that, then that would have been a natural, that would have been, that would have, been. but then I also did a retreat also in Cabo. The last time I'd been in Mexico, I didn't drink, but there was some weird thing that, I guess because I wanted to bond with people that old, that old, uh, patterning. Yeah. You know, Yeah, no, I get it. And I also think you're asking an important essential question. And that is like, who do I want to be in this experience or in this environment? And sometimes when we don't intentionally like think about that and step into that role, we will go to a default setting. Like you plug the VCR in, it blinks 12 and it's like, well, that's this default setting. So a default setting when in a new environment might be alcohol equals social lubricant equals this is how I roll versus I'm, I'm getting off the plane, I'm stepping into this experience. Like, what do I want this experience to look like? Who do I want to be in this experience? What do I want to get out on the other side? When I'm getting back on this plane, what do I want to say happened? And I think it colors the way that we make our choices during an experience. That's such a good point. Lack of intention. And sometimes, yeah, we need to get super clear on what we want out of the experience. Because, yeah, and I I mean, how many people do that before things like that? You know, we kind of go into it not really knowing, but you need to get clear on who you want to be. And you have to, your alignment you have to do the actions that align with that person, not the person in your past. Exactly, exactly. So one of the divisions of my company is we have a life and leadership coach training program. Mm. And so when we meet for our full day, like all day trainings where we get together, formally got together now, it's a virtual experience, but I always pose these essential questions and just like to drop them in there. And one that's my favorite is who do I have to be to have the life I want? Who do I have to be to have the life I want? And I like that question phrased in that exact way because it gets us like clicked into, okay, then like what choices does that guy make? Like if the guy I want to be has an experience like this, what choices do I want to make? Like what does this look like? How am I approaching those workshops? What am I taking, you know, in? When we did the um, Temescal, I was super intentional Mm. about not drinking before it and not drinking after it because I wanted to be like clear channel and also like not die, (laughs) you know, Mm. and the dehydration. But I think intentionality is so important. How was the Temescal for you? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's one thing I haven't really talked about. The specifics of it. We're in the same group. So it was really so because I did take the advice the night before 
not to drink past a certain time because we had a dinner or something, I stopped. But I still, whenever I have drinks, I still mess up my sleep. And then I get anxiety, lack of sleep. And that's when I, I brought on anxiety in my life. I knew that, right? So when I woke up that day, I was feeling a bit off. I was like, oh, like I can't have a coffee because that's going to escalate it. And I'm well aware of my anxiety issues and what causes them. So I knew going in, but I thought, okay. So we went into that and immediately I had this like panic feeling, that old like mm -hmm. panic attack feeling where I was like, shit, I don't know if I can do this. Like I was thinking, I was like, how, how, how am I going to do this? How am, how can I situate myself so that I can get out of here if I need to? So I had to sit by the door. I was, I, I did it, but I remember thinking, I can't, I got to get out of here. But I powered through and it was like one of the most, as soon as, as soon as we went through the first wave. So everybody listening, we had like, what is there? Four waves, right? There was four levels. Yeah. And the yeah. first one, as soon as I sweat, as soon as I, I, my anxiety went away, like it just, as soon as it, it kicked in and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I'd done it once before. It was very challenging. It was in a smaller, even a smaller little thing. And yeah, it was, it was magical. Like, Oh yeah. Like what, Absolutely. like, like the things coming into my head and, and like the vibe of people and the chanting and like, Oh, it was just like, it's bringing me back now. I'm trying to put myself in that position, but wow. Was I scared at first, but it, that was, that was such, that was my favorite part of that whole weekend. The whole week. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. That, that really, um, lent a lot to the experience for me. Yeah. Um, I hadn't done it. So I'd been to Tulum two other times, but I had never done that. So, you know, and I had been to like a spa and a sauna before, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm a regular at hot yoga, but that ain't no hot yoga. That's not no <laughs> That's hot yoga. That's a whole other level. Um, but I like what you said about, you know, you wanted to do it. You knew that you were experiencing some anxiety and you're like, in order for me to do this, I'm going to need to sit next to the door. And like, Lance, that's such a good point because how often in life do we like say, no, I can't do that. Like not everything is aligned instead of saying like, okay, I can do this thing, but I'm going to need like support or a resource mm -hmm. or like to know what my extra strategy is because yeah. I'll do it. And then if I need to leave, like I'll honor myself in that space. Like that's pretty powerful that you're like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to need to sit here in order to do this. Yeah. And it was almost like I was kind of, I felt I was being selfish because I somewhat uh, like, I didn't want to take it away from someone else. But at the same time, I didn't want to get that feeling in the middle of like, cause just to paint the picture, everybody we're, we're in this igloo style thing and there's no room. We can't see each other. And if you have to get out during that, how would that even work? And I started thinking about that shit in my head. I was like, I can't get out of here. So, right. But what a, what a challenge for anybody like yourself, because I know you were sitting kind of deeper in. Oh, I was deep in like, that. What was your thought process? <laughs> like for somebody that doesn't, well, I don't know if you get anxiety or not, but walk us through what that was like for you. Um, I'm a living, breathing person. So yes, I get anxiety. I yeah. think we all do. Yeah. I mean, as a psychotherapist, like that's my background even before like having a coaching company. And I can tell you like everybody, most, even the most like self-assured person, they got that like little itty bitty, like shitty committee hanging out on their shoulder, like talking to them and mm -hmm. like, you know, making them anxious. Everyone has it in some capacity or another. But 
So you said that you likened it to an igloo and I think you're totally right. And I want to give everybody perspective of like, you know, how big this igloo was that inside on the floor print, you might've been able to fit a full bed. I don't know, quite a queen bed, like definitely not a king size would have gone in the middle there. Right. And standing up, like I'm five, six, and I could not stand up probably unless I was directly in the middle, mm. but you know. But there's so, a coals there, so you can't. Right, right, you cannot stand there, there's coals there. Um, but yeah, so being deep in it, and I have to say mindset-wise, like some of the things that really helped me to navigate it, because um, when I was in, I stayed in the whole time, and there were two people next to me who had done it before. And they both opted into doing it again. So I figured if this was so horrendous or like this was going to kill you, there's nobody who does this a second time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that was like the dialogue in my head was I want to have this experience. I, you know, I like the heat, you know, you're trying to like talk to like basics in your head and well, these two people have done it before and they're choosing to do it again. So how bad could it be? Hmm. But yeah, I think that that was the mindset. But to your point about the experience of it, coming out of that hut, I felt like I was reborn. Me too. Like, and then when we were greeted, so just to give everybody a visual, so you're in there and you're in there with, how many people were with us? Like 25, 30? If that, I don't even know if that many. Was there 25? There had to be like at least 20 to 25 of us. 25, let's say 25. Let's go with 25. So can you guys imagine trying to jam 25 people on like a queen size band? <laughs> like oh, we're yeah. sitting so tight together and we have this experience and it's like deep and like there's the chanting and sometimes there's crying and it's pitch black and it's hot. And you just, you, you go through this experience of, I think in some ways like dying and then being reborn when you emerge. Mm. And when we emerged, you know, we're all looking at each other, at least like this this recognition of like, you survived that, I survived that. We, we just did that together, yeah. like super bonding. Mm. And then we're met by this huge table of every fruit you could possibly <laughs> imagine. I know. <laughs> and like, I remember being next to a John Barry. I don't know if you've connected with him, but he would be an awesome guest. He's next level. But I remember standing next to John Barry and eating a mango. And I was like, this mango tastes more mango-y than any mango I've ever had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so true. Yeah. I'm like, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That, that, I remember that. I specifically remember, like, watermelon. Yeah. Like, didn't the watermelon – wasn't oh. the most delicious watermelon you had in your entire it life? It was so good. And – the thing is, like in in that environment, there's so many lessons that you have to learn. That, like, right. it's, it's like real life adversity. Like, it's it's you have to be, you almost like maybe this is a little bit um, extreme, but I was willing. I was willing. The feeling like I could die here. Like I was willing to. I'm like, what am I actually? But that's the thing with anxiety for me. I've I've, I've got to the point like. I've had anxiety so bad that it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of, I'm like, what am I scared of? Am I scared of dying or am I scared of the feeling or the pain of dying? And, and I'm like, I'm not really like, what am I actually scared of? Because if I did die, well, like, what, like, what am I going to do? You know? So I know it's like, kind of like extreme, but 
it's really like, what is the root of this panic? Right? right. It's like, why, like, is it, what am I, what am I really afraid of? So when I went in there, I was willing, I had that thing. I was like, well, I'm willing to die for this because I don't, I'm not going to get out of this thing. <laughs> like I'm right. not going, if I go in here, I am, I'm not like, I have to stay in here. And, but then I knew that I wasn't going to die, you know? Right, 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 right. You know, as you're talking about, oh, God, what were you going to say? No, nothing, nothing. Well, as you're talking about the anxiety and it's like, okay, what is the the root of the anxiety? What is like ramps up the anxiety? And whether it's with the Temescal or like anything. Yeah. You know what it is, Lance? It's our story around it. It's the story around the fear. It's the story around the, the supposed death, whether it's death of actual physical life or death of ego. Like it's the story that we create around it. Yeah. And if we can, that's why like I was, I've always been drawn to the work of, of therapy, psychology, coaching, because it's about mastering your mindset. Because yeah. if you can get into the mainframe and rewire that shit, like you can make anything anything happen Mm -hmm. but we will constantly time after time we will get in our way when this like this blah 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 blah, like that that's calling the shots because that's not the real you that's a combination between the like amygdala which is trying to keep us safe you know that's about like the size of a unshelled almond kind of a little bit between the eyes a little bit above and between the eyes and the brain the amygdala is trying to keep us safe like the ego is kind of like I, I was liking it to like the Mucinex man on the couch, like eating Cheetos. Like it just wants to maintain homeostasis. Like do not ask me to get up and do anything fantastic. And all parts of you are going to shout doubts at top volume. And that is the derivative of anxiety. It's the story, right? That yeah. tries to have us maintain homeostasis to make sure that the, the water stays calm no matter how miserable we are, no matter how uncomfortable we are, no matter how bored or stuck or frustrated or I don't know or I'm trying to figure it out, it will try to keep us almost like flat. And it's about how we rewrite our story that allows us to emerge, allows us to shift or change it or just overcome adversity mm-hmm. and decide, like, I am more than my story. I am more than my anxiety. And while, yes, anxiety, I see you. I recognize you're trying to tell me something. Thank you for that. But you don't get to decide. You don't get to call the shots. You don't get to decide who I am when I show up in this. I decide. Mm. But there is a real, I think almost like a, a real journey that we have to be on and a choice that we make to separate the two. Separate ourselves and understand that we are not our anxiety. Our anxiety tries to wrap itself around us and almost like we're like to stick us in a catacomb of fear. Yeah. And the truth is, like, you're not what you're wrapped around. Like, you're not the costume that you have on. Like, you are who you decide to be at your core. But until you go on a mission to extract the two and master your mindset and really choose your life, guess who's going to keep calling the shots? Your anxiety, your fear. Every time. Yeah. It's, this topic is so important. Anxiety. Like I'm just so, I'm happy we're talking about this because 
I never understood what it was when my mom talked about it when I was a kid. And she had a bad, she had bad panic attacks. And I never got it until I started experiencing with hard drugs when I was 20. So I never knew what that, well, I always had sort of like a weird, like, uh, I didn't know what social anxiety was, like kind of nervousness going into groups, whatever. But I never got that real feeling of anxiety until I started with messing with some of the hard drugs when I was younger, ecstasy, all that crap. And then one day I smoked a bit of weed and I got this weird anxiety attack where I was like, what was that? Like we're like, I literally heart beats like a million miles an hour. You feel like you're going to die. And then I was exposed to it. I was like, oh shit. And then in my head now, every time a panicky situation, like I've learned to deal with it. A lot of it has to do with like diet as well to like combat it. But that feeling comes back still to this day. And that it's all, it's crazy how we get wired like that. Because once I've experienced that, now any sort of situation that can, can bring that sort of feeling, I go back to that and I think, oh, I don't want that feeling. But like, it interests me how, how it all works. Like, like what is that? Right. Like, is, right. That, is that a trauma that was just exposed through some sort of, you know, it was heightened through, you know, using, you know, poor judgment and doing drugs and that kind of thing. But like, it's there now. Mm-hmm. And is that just a lack of dealing with the trauma? And this is, this is where I wonder, like, how do we address that anxiety? How do we, how can we dissolve that weird panicky feeling that shows up for so many people in different ways? And it's like, oh, I don't want that feeling because it feels like we're going to die. Or, right. or like you go on an airplane and it's like, holy shit, like you feel like I get that. The t- only times I get is when I go on airplanes for some reason and certain other times. But I know other people experience it in such a greater way and some don't experience it. My dad never did. And it's just fascinating to me how sure. this works. Right, right, right. And you know what? You and I can have this conversation from a couple of different lenses. We could have the conversation entirely about brain chemistry, especially relative to how some some hard drugs in some doses with some people um, will significantly deplete like your serotonin, which helps to regulate your neurotransmitters and then therefore um, to help support us through anxiety experiences. Like we could totally talk in that like brain science realm. We could also talk about it in a trauma realm in terms of like a traumatic experience and then the imprinting from that and then how we respond going forward. We could also have a conversation from like the perspective of what we were talking about before of like, who do you want to be in the way that you're showing up and what do we need to build and do to support you, right? And that next higher level of you, because for whatever reason that it started, that is not as, as important as how you're going to respond and navigate it going forward. Like we, mm. there's lots of different lenses that we could talk about it from, but the most important thing that I hear you saying is you've had a full blown panic attack or you've had a couple in your life. So you know what it's like to, to feel like you're at the bottom of that barrel. Right. Mm. And I've had panic attacks over the years. Um, in fact, my book, your power, we start off by talking about, like being pulled over on the side of the road, like palms sweating on my steering wheel, tunnel vision, like hiccup crying. And here I am on my way to my psychotherapy office where I help people with this sort of thing. 
And meanwhile, like I'm a total mess on the side of the road because I can't drive, I can't breathe, I'm, I'm having a panic attack. So I can relate very much to this. And the most important part that I hear you saying that I think many people can relate to is that when we've had significant panic experiences that are feel debilitating, like you're going to die, yeah. anytime, anything, even smells remotely, like that smell, like right, that feeling, like, oh, oh, that's that's panic. And I know where that road goes, like to straight to going to die. And I don't want to go down there. So we'll avoid it altogether. Yes. That creates self-imposed limits that hold us back from the learning that can be acquired by rewriting our brain, rewriting our story, mastering our mindset so that we're not as triggered by mm. potential panicky smell of anxiety. That was so amazing how you explained that. And all of a sudden it just came to me was that that's alcohol was my way to numb that. And most yeah. people, I would say that's the case, you know, yeah. like, or medication or it's in, and it's even, even the, and I talked to Kyle about this when we had our coaching call, Kyle Kingsbury. And I said to him, I said, look, I get anxiety when I, whenever I do plant medicine, like right before, or the thought of it or whenever I played around with anything, there's always that wave of anxiety. Now, is that just, I wonder, is that like a sense of excitement? Because even Sam Harris says, look, some anxiety is just a level of excitement. It's yeah. like you should be a little bit excited or a little bit, you know, on your, on your toes about something new. But then I, it always goes back to me. I, I, it fascinates me how, how this 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 pops up and how it's always a thing that surfaces and i don't it like i think a lot of people just want to they want to address it but like how do you how do you clear it how does it how do you wipe it away is right you know like it's it's just i guess it's such a complex thing and i i'm just kind of like going off here because this stuff is like it's such a hindrance to so many people and I think people have these, this anxiety and they just cover it up with so many different things. They cover it up, they numb it up, they, you know, they try to push it away, they try to skip over. And you know, when, when you say, um, you know, how do we like, overcome this? How do we like, essentially live life without this? We have to be really cautious about that because you can't skip act two, right? Act one is there's a problem and we've got anxiety. Act three is we have no anxiety. Right. Act two is where the resolution comes in. And that's where we do our deepest learning. That's where we learn the lessons, acquire the skills, get the coping that we need so that we, you can't skip act two and go straight to act three where everything is resolved. I mean, we've all seen the movies. Like act one is where the problem is presented. Act two is when you go on the adventure and figure it out, right? Much like hero's journey. And then act three is when, you know, we have the resolution. You can't skip act two. And I think that's what we, many times we expect of ourselves is to like hop on over, skip over it to the place of resolution so that we're anxiety free or fear free. And you know what? Like that actually doesn't do us any favors. 
but instead to understand the derivatives of our anxiety, how we want to navigate it, acquiring the tools with which to help us in different situations. Cause you know, there's like 41 flavors of anxiety. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I hear, I love that we're down this anxiety rabbit hole because we're not the only ones, you know, and someone might look at you and, Oh, successful podcast, great guy. Like, you know, so connective, you know, easy to talk to what has anxiety. No way. Oh, look at her. Like, you know, owns her own company, talks to people about this stuff for a living. Ah, no way she has anxiety because we make up stories about other people. Yeah. But you and I are both like, uh, no, we both have it. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Yeah, it's, I have, I've had it my whole life yeah. and it's, it's, it's been the one thing that's, that's held me back from so much. And it's why I think I had a drinking problem too, is mm-hmm. that it was just the thing that allowed me to just not have to feel that. Yes, absolutely. And how often, whether that's by way of Netflix or even frankly, people who get really into people pleasing and like are super into a helping profession a lot of times like we'll put all of our our time and effort and energy into others because we're not dealing with our own shit whether it's even like drinking whether it's even like working out too much doing things to the extreme a lot of times like we'll throw ourselves into something else as a way to turn off so i don't have to address that part of me and I get that that can be a coping for many people and I'm guilty of it plenty of times of just focusing on everybody but myself. But the truth is like, if you want to live this life and feel this life and experience this life to the point where the schnozberries taste like schnozberries, like that, you know, you're, you are able to be present in your situations. You're not going to be anxiety free, but it's about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And recognizing when the fear is information coming in for you and also when the fear is just kind of an imaginary roadblock. And we get to decide because when we see something and, oh, that looks like a, a six-foot cement wall and the truth is it's, it's just a smoke screen and we can make it through. But a lot of times we choose to opt out before even attempting the thing that we're afraid of without numbing. And that robs us every time, Lance. Every time it robs us. Yeah. It's, this is, this is a question I, I asked. I had Jordan on from the crew. When this airs, this, his will already be on. But I asked him this question and I feel like it's relevant. What is fear? Mm. Like, like, you know, we, we, we talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And like, what actually is fear? It's a story. It's a story. I'm How do we create? Yeah. So it's a story. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt. I get too excited. No. Okay. No, I love it. Like, yeah, fear. So it's a story. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going with that. No, no. So it's a story. Your question, where does it come from? Right. And the story comes from three different sources. One, our own past experiences. Two, somebody else's past experiences that we've been indoctrinated in, whether it's our parents or our teachers or society, right? And anticipatory expectations. And many times the combo of any of those, whether two or three of them, the combo of that and then the gap, this is the most important part, the gap between where we are and where we think we should be can feel like the Grand Canyon. 
and you just go ahead and fill that whole space with a whole bucket of fear. Like it's story and stories derived from, you know, like, you know, especially like parent stories, you know, when parents will say like, that's a, oh, what's a good one? That's a good example. Like money stories, money stories, especially like anxiety around money stories will come up. Mm. And a lot of our money stories aren't actually even ours. They're our parents, whether something was expensive or for those people or, you know, not, you're not deserving of it. And like, we'll get these little stories, but we haven't pressure tested them to actually see if they're ours. We just adopt them. So we talk about the derivatives of fear. They come from, sure, our past experiences, right? Like you played hockey, right? And if you, if every time that you went to, um, to score a goal, you fell flat on your face and broke a tooth, guess how often you're going to be making an attempt to score a goal? Not that often because you want to avoid the pain. And I'm giving you an example of like physical pain. But if every time you went to score a goal, everyone shouted boo at you. <laughs> Let me just tell you, after a while, you'd stop trying to get the puck to the goal. You would, right? Because we have experiences and then we create meaning out of those experiences. And left unexamined, guess what we've decided? That those experiences and the meaning that we've created is the truth. Not the truth. It's a story, an untested, unpressure tested story. So we think it's true. That's so good. An unpressure tested story, a made up story mm-hmm. that we think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And and I um, man, I love this topic. I it's especially as well. I have one of these fears and maybe you do too, like of losing everything, like being like Aubrey had talked about this as like a challenge a while back, like put yourself in the position of losing everything. Like what would that feel like? And that scares the shit out of me. Like I know I've been, I've, I never grew up with like a family of money, but I always had enough. And like, I always still like, I have an abundance mindset for the most part, but that still, that well, what if I just lost it all? Like that fucking scares me. Right. You know? Like, is that ever, how, how do you deal with that? Do you ever think like that or is that? No, I think that we all think of what's our worst case scenario. And here's something that I think is interesting. I don't know if it always exactly falls on like physical gender lines, but I know that it can fall under energetic masculine feminine is that sometimes, especially the masculine can use fear as fuel. Um, So especially fear of failure is big when it comes to the masculine archetype. So let's, again, let's go to the hockey example. And I suck at, I suck at sports analogies, so bear with me. But, oh, I love it. Um, but okay, so if your biggest fear was being the worst guy on the team or to let your team down and you were propelled through each and every game and practice to strive to be your best because of this fear of failure, it's a motivator for better or for worse. There could be another guy who like his biggest motivator would be like, he wants to be the top, the number one, uh, have the, the, you know, the, the most shots on goal or <laughs> yeah. no, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but that's his motivation is that he wants to, to get that MVP award. He wants to set the records. Like he wants to have the team go to the championship. Like that's his vision. Both guys are motivated. One's motivated from the breath of the wolf 
at his heels, right? Which is fear, Mm. fear of failure. The other guy, so that's back here. And the other guy is motivated by where he sees that he can climb. And this motivation, this propelling, almost a power source within the masculine archetype is not uncommon. I can tell you about doctors that I've worked with, um, financial professionals that I've worked with, entrepreneurs that I've worked with, that they've derived so much of their success because they're so scared to fail that they will do anything to survive and make it happen. And therefore that equates to success, whether success dictated by awards or the bank account or accolades, whatever, right? And it, it, it can be a driver. And where I many times find myself in the intersection of working with, especially men or women who really um, come from a masculine archetype um, that secure the perimeter, target the goal, get shit done masculine, right? Is when that motivator doesn't work anymore. Mm. When we've achieved a certain level of success or all the things that we were fighting against losing, fighting against failing from. And those are no longer motivating us because, well, frankly, we've proven to ourselves that I'm not going to fail the team. We're proven to ourselves that I'm not going to be the worst guy uh, out there on the ice. Or actually, I can build a million plus dollar business and employ others. And I was so afraid of eating ramen for the rest of my life, but I've proven myself otherwise. You know, the, the doctor who achieves and he's just like, okay, I'm ready. Like I'm at the top of my practice because he was working so freaking hard not to be last in his class, you know, through medical school. And what happens? This is where I like to go into the next level questions. Like what happens when fear isn't a motivator anymore? Because right? it can be a fuel for so many. Are you picking up what I'm putting down there? Totally. Yeah, well, it comes from love or fear, right? Right. Like and driver for the feminine archetype, mm. whether you're physically female or not, love, mm. striving for love, the seeking of pleasure. That's how people are wired. We're wired one of two ways, very, very simply. It doesn't even matter your sexual orientation, your, your gender. We are all biologically wired from like caveman days to either seek pleasure or avoid pain. Right? That's how you survived as a caveman. Don't get eaten by the jaguar, right? avoid pain, and seek pleasure, find food. Right? That's how we've all survived. And it, it has a tendency that the masculine archetype is driven by the avoiding of failure, the avoiding of pain, and the feminine archetype is driven by the seeking of pleasure. Um, by and large, and that can, again, the feminine archetype can, can reside in a, ma- in a male body or a female body but yeah love or fear what would you say is more like well, let's just say let's actually i want to ask you another question what is the biggest thing in your life right now what's your mm-hmm. biggest fear or struggle that you face that you maybe don't talk about that often but mm-hmm. it's there that's a good one that's a good one um right now right this second and I have, I have talked about it in smaller circles, but happy to share it here. About, oh gosh, now almost five years ago, crazy to say, but almost five years ago, I wrote my first book. And when I wrote Own Your Power, I wrote it 
in two days and I had a six month old. So any parents who are listening are just going to be like, uh, were you even sleeping? I wrote the book in two days and the editing process took a lot longer with a six month old child. So when I decided to write my second book, you know, my, my company grew, we shifted from um, the company being only me to now the name of the company is MindRise and we have a team of coaches and we have a, an admin team of support and we're growing and I'm really proud of that. And I, at first I would have told you that my biggest fear is letting down my team, but that used to be a driver. It's not a driver anymore because we've proven success and we're, we continue to grow. So I'm proud of that. But Lance, you know what it is lately is that damn book is stuck in me. And I'll sit down and I'll try to write the sec second book. I'm like, and of course my ego, because like, that's all, that's like always what we're battling. My ego's like five years, like you should have written three books by now, you know, and had, you know, at least a bestseller out of the bunch. But right now my ego and I are having a, a, a wrestling match over that book not dropping in, but instead taking a lot longer to eke out. Um, and I'm trying to make peace with it by way of saying like, it's, I'm learning the lessons that are going into the book, but damn, if I'm not like afraid that that won't make its way out. So yeah, that's probably the big one, the big guy I'm dealing with right now. Do you feel that you let yourself go, like that, that you just let things flow or are you more of somebody that's, because there's, you know, there's different kinds of people. Some people, like you said, are the ones that are just like the hustlers, the hustlers. And then there's some people who just kind of, you know, ebb and flow. You seem like more of a flow person because sometimes when you squeeze too tight, you cut off, the, you cut off the abundance, right? Right, right, so right. Like, like what kind of person are you in that way? Are you balanced? Are you high one way, too much of the other? Where are you at? So I am a big fan of fluidity to the point where like you just kind of hear your like theme music and you know you're pointed in the right direction, right? I'm like, all right, good. I got this. Like it's lining up. And whenever I realize like my fear kicking in or my anxiety kicking in, it starts to become a wrestling match. And I will, uh, I've got that like brave heart, like, Goonies never say die, like tear me limb from limb when it comes to like my, me making peace with surrender. And I know that surrender is the key to fluidity for my recipe. But damn, if I will fight to the death when I am wrestling with something, and I know that once I, like you said, let go of the grip, my fluidity will drop in. But yeah, so I'm mostly fluidity. But when I really get in a wrestling match, like, I will sink your fucking battleship. Like, mm -hmm. I will. <laughs> and that's the battleship within myself. Like, I will be my own worst enemy. That's, the, jer that's the Jersey girl in you, right? Jersey girl. <laughs> yeah, like, we should say earmuffs. <laughs> earmuffs, guess who's on? <laughs> Sorry, you're going to need, like, a new rating for your yeah. podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. What do you see? So what's coming to me is because there's, there's so many people struggling out there with different reasons and different things. Like what do you see in your circle or who you come into contact with what people struggle with the most? Oh, that's a good question. Everyone doesn't matter age, gender, mm -hmm. socioeconomic, doesn't matter what's in the bank account or your driveway. 
everyone struggles with the exact same thing. Everyone. And it's getting in their own way. Your, your worst enemy is yourself. Mm. That's the biggest thing I see everyone struggling with is themselves and their inner story and their inner dialogue. And until we learn the tools to rewire the way that we are wired, right? To get in there and not to be perfect every day. And it doesn't mean that that, that poof, anxiety disappears, but it means that when it comes up, you're able to deal with the adversity that shows up for you and be able to rewire yourself. That's everyone gets in their own way. Everybody. So true. How has, um, I might as well address, you know, this whole situation with Corona and all this stuff that's going on. Cause it's something I like to bring up because I mean, it's kind of our real life adversity that we're dealing with. You know, we've had to deal with it for the last few months, but now that we're sitting at sort of, you know, what is it now we're recording this June 12th. It's been, you know, three or four months. How has your perspective changed before and after? And what have you learned from this experience? Hmm. I had a conversation with someone today about, uh, actually, Summer Deaver. She's got a great podcast, really, really great podcast, Summer Deaver. Um, she and I were talking today about the power of slowing down. Mm. And I think for me, it's that slowing down. It's the intentionalism. It's, the, it's that place of when the carrots taste like carrots, when you can actually feel your life, when you're not necessarily rushing from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. I also can, you know, default setting for me, be a bit of a nihilist in the sense of like, we have this one life, this one precious life, and it can be taken away from you This in this current existence and barring reincarnation, whatever, but it can, life as we know it can be taken away from you at any moment. So who are you in life to play small? Who are you to hold back? Who are you to you know, temper what's real about you? So going back to what you said before about like if you knew that was your last time to really interact with people the way that we did in Tulum, would I have changed anything? I can't say that I would have done anything particularly different because I'd like to play full out no matter what I do. And I don't know, I've been actually examining this a lot for myself lately and I, it'll probably go into the book, um, the next book, but thinking, where does that come from for me? And I don't know if it was, you know, again, speaking about like adversities, I don't know if it was being a little kid and being sick as a little kid and like hospitalized where one day you're in school, like hugging Clifford the Big Red Dog and the next you're in a hospital. I don't know where I, it clicked with me, but it clicked very early on that life as you know it can change in the blink of an eye. And therefore, it's not something to be taken for granted. So while I have talked to a lot of people, and my heart goes out for a lot of people that have struggled significantly during corona, um, I think that if we look at the silver lining, we can really lean into the gifts that reside in there. The other thing that I'll say about it, and I'm curious if you've had this experience, but I feel like anything that was lying beneath the surface that either didn't, be, didn't get processed yet or needed to be processed, processed or hadn't come up for you, but it was in the, in the underbelly of, uh, of your emotional space, I think that that's been illuminated for a lot of people. And for many people, this can lead to wanting to, to be on a path of introspection. For many people, this can be really kind of scary. 
they joke and say that there's either like going to be a lot of Corona babies or a lot of Corona divorces. And I think that anything that wasn't working for you, I think we've been brought to a point where tolerating it is no longer acceptable. And it's been illuminated to such a point that it's going to make you uncomfortable so that you have to deal with it. And I, I could speak not only from personal experience, but also with many of my clients being like, okay, wait, I was functioning just fine. Where the hell is this coming from? And a lot of times things that like exist right below the surface where we can't numb ourselves by way of busy or going to the bar or, you know, working out the way that we used to, or just like keeping that pace when it gets slowed down. A lot of times that's when we have to face our shit and deal with it. So that's one of the things, some of the Corona thoughts from my Corona files <laughs> that have been circulating mm. for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think because I mean I live on my own. I'm I'm a single guy, so you know, and I've worked from home before, so it didn't really affect me as far as like I did face I did it did face a lot of things, and I did do a lot more exploring and maybe gone down rabbit holes to learn about the system and learn about my perspective changed in a lot of ways about a lot of things as far as you know the craziness going on. But what I'm curious about is is the people who you know, the busy husband and wife with the kids and the busy, the busy guy, the busy dad that's always working and doesn't really get that much time to spend with the family. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're at home all the time. And, you know, what a challenge because people love their freedom. You know, people get used to the freedom. They get used to, okay, this is, the, I, this is my family time. And then I go do this for this time. And all of a sudden when it's like, whoa, this is, all family time now as right. much as we love our families and we're, you know, but let's be honest, it's challenging. Sometimes it's like when you go stay with your, you know, when I'm you, you with, with family at Christmas time or whatever, it's like, all right, I love you. But I, I like, I can't like, I, I gotta go. <laughs> like, like I just, well, till New Year's. <laughs> you know, I'll, but like, that's interesting to me is that I didn't face that personally, but I know that there are people that would have really had to dig deep and, what does that look like for them after, right? Like, Right, right, right. You know, Lance, I actually talked to a client of mine the other day and she made a really good point because, um, you know, I, I have a little, a little lady, she's five. She's not yeah. quite in kindergarten yet. So I can't, my heart goes out to anybody who's like the parent of like three kids, somebody's graduating and like they've got to do division. <laughs> I don't know. My brain's like, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm just trying to make three meals a day and one of them is definitely hummus and carrots. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get real. So that, like that being said, she and I are having a conversation of what we choose. And it is one thing if you choose homeschooling or if you choose to have your entire family live in a van or a tiny house and travel the country. Like that is one choice, right? And I think there's a power, right? Because we all value our freedom. And there's a power that resides in making the choice you know, I, I don't know, I'm sure you've been on Instagram and like followed a family that like, they've got like, I don't know, 37 kids and they all live in a school bus and <laughs> they travel yeah. the country. And I'm like, they, they, and it looks fabulous and perfect and Pinterest, like everybody's, I don't know, everybody's clean. It's amazing. And, but they chose that. Mm -hmm. And I think when the psychological, emotional perspective of we didn't choose, that's when we get into this, this struggle feeling like 
well, clearly my freedom must have been removed if I didn't choose this. So while yes, like dad might've been commuting into Manhattan and an hour both ways, you know, every day, um, or mom, um, and now they're at home and working from home and they can spend time with their family. And this is the thing that they always wanted to do. And now they want to run away from home because it's been three weeks and they can't wait to get the hell out of here. We have to remember that unless you opted into it, you're now having to adapt to it. And not that there's not an adaptation that happens when we make a choice, but when it's thrust upon us, it's a different kind of adapting, almost like wearing somebody else's shoes. And like, yeah, you can walk a mile. Like if I had to give you a pair of high heels, Lance, like, and I'd say, okay, walk a mile. You could do it, but it's, it's massively uncomfortable yeah. compared to wearing the shoes that you chose to walk that mile in, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know how you do it, by the way, with those damn things. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't that's why i work from home my friend unless i'm on a stage you won't find me and most times i take my shoes up on stage too but um no i know but you know what i'm saying yeah. and i think that that's part of the psychological struggle that many people have had is i didn't choose this it's thrust upon me and now i'm trying to make the best of it without having been resourced to do it mm. and so the, my client in particular, she was saying, you know, it, it's not homeschooling because I didn't choose to homeschool my kids. It's crisis schooling because we're in a crisis. So do you remember the alphabet? Sweet. School done. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that's so um, true. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? There's, like, there's a difference because we are willing to walk uphill in the snow barefoot with like 3000 pounds on our back. If we chose that hill, if we chose that mountain, we'll do it. Mm. But when it's something that's thrust upon us and it could be the same circumstances, but we didn't choose it. The backpack gets a little heavier and the feet hurt a little bit more. And it is just a little colder because we didn't, we can, can we survive? Can we overcome the adversity? Yes but it pains us a little bit more when it's not something that we chose. So accepting, full acceptance. And there, my friend, is the topic of the second book, mm. Acceptance. Well, that leads us in to what are you working on now and where can we check you out? And maybe give <laughs> us a little sneak peek into the, the, the new book. Sure, sure, sure. So the next book is about enjoying life, identity, and acceptance, like that path, because you know we can't we can't fully like taste the taste the mango, taste the watermelon, and appreciate it and be present in it if we're not accepting ourselves for who we are. We're not going to grow. We're just going to keep hitting our head up against the same old wall. So it's about identity and about who we choose to be in this world. Um, so that is really the derivative of the second book. But you guys can all. I'm hanging out on uh, Instagram. So you can check me out over at themindrise.com. Um, then on Instagram, we are the mind rise and uh, Bailey Freeman. So that's mm. where the party's at. Obviously. Obviously you always have great little stories too. Lots of value. I highly encourage everybody to follow you because you know, it's nice to have that in stories. There's so much negative shit out there and so much disempowerment. It's nice to have like anybody that promotes empowering information to people. Right, right, right. And I think you're right, Lance. Like 
there's enough, there's enough heavy out there. Yeah. And if we, if we choose to be the light and seek the light, then we have to, our, our output equals our input. So put the good stuff in, mm-hmm. you know, they say like, you are what you eat. Yeah. The same thing intellectually, you are what you consume. Mm-hmm. You listen to good music, you listen to great podcasts, you read great books. You can't help but have a positive output. That's such a great point because this is where I've been really focusing on as well. And it's what you consume. It's not just your food. It's like, even when I'm watching Netflix or I don't even really watch it because I don't like the, if it's making me feel worse, I ask myself like, why am I watching this? Mm -hmm. What is the reason? Right. And I think people really need to pay attention to you are what you consume. Like you become that. And Mm -hmm. if you're constantly watching things that make you feel low vibration, you're eating things that make you feel low vibration, you're talking to people that make you feel low vibration, what's going to happen? You're going to be low vibration, right? Right. But that's a conscious choice that we have to be aware of. Like, how does this make me feel? Kind of like shit. Well, maybe don't watch that then or listen to that right? It's, it's important to be aware with what's going on, I feel like, but then there's a certain point where it's like, okay, is this serving me or is this actually working against me, right? And I've been looking at just what's going on, everything and the craziness. And I, I just go back to the saying, you know, Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Because we can't change any, we can only change what we do with ourselves, the conversations we have to the people around us, that's, that's the change that we have to start with, right? Within ourselves. And right. then, so that comes from what do I put into my body? Okay, boom. What conversations do I have? Okay, well, that's the start. If everybody did that, that would be a huge change. But everyone's so worried about pointing the finger at everybody else instead of like, what haven't I healed? What, you know, what haven't I dealt with? And it's really forced. I, I've, I've been dealing with this as well. Like if I get triggered, if I see this stuff, what is it within me that I haven't dealt with and why am I looking to get somebody else to deal with it? Right. 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 And I think that that's get somebody else to deal with it in terms of like, Oh heavens. What's the, what's the concept where we're, we're, we're putting it on to someone else to fix it for yeah. us. That's different, I believe, than coaching or therapy where that person exists for you to hold space mm-hmm. to examine. And, but when we offload, that was what I was looking for, when we yeah. offload onto somebody else, especially in romantic partnership or even in the dynamic of the parent dance, totally. um, that we offload that as, as like, well, you, like you should be figuring that out for me or you should give me the love or the acceptance that I'm not giving myself. Like you should love me more than I love me. Um, or when we're single and we're like looking to be in partnership and we like everybody we meet, we're like, bull. And the truth is like you raise your vibration. Like you're just, you're going to attract to you who, what level that you're vibrating at. Yes. You want, you know, if you want to meet somebody that's going to be absolutely amazing and somebody that's got their act together and is taking care of themselves and is high vibe and, you know, has their own interests, then guess what? You got to be that person because you're not going to have a unicorn if you don't want to be a unicorn. 
you got to be a unicorn. Then you're going to attract a unicorn. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we offload that and expect our partner or our parent to love us or, or fill us more than we're willing to fill ourselves, that, yeah. that math doesn't work. I think that's a hard pill to swallow for people that you can't expect somebody, you can't expect that to have that person you want or want to be without you being that person first. Yes. It's hard to accept though, because a lot of people can't, it's like they, they just look, they're looking for somebody to save them. Right. 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 And we get stuck in that trap. Even in business, I think sometimes we can get yeah. stuck in traps. Totally. Yeah. And so it's not exclusive to just romantic relationships, but yeah, you look for somebody to, to save us in some capacity or another. And it's not about, you know, the dance of reciprocity. I'm all about that. Um, but when we keep seeing our relationships in a transactional perspective that I'll give to you when you give to me, it, all that is hiding vulnerability and vulnerability is what allows us to not only connect to others, but connect to ourselves. Mm. This is where you should fall in love first and you should do it over and over again. This isn't like, oh, I did 10 setups. I'm good. Yeah. Like you have to practice self-love on a regular basis or it's not going to happen with any fluidity for you. Mm. Right? Yeah. Same thing. You got to keep doing the setups if you want the abs. <laughs> do, you, Just- do, you, do you find that with... Like, I'm glad you brought up, are you okay for time, by the way? Do we got to wrap things yeah. up, right? Okay. Doing, doing uh, great. Okay, perfect. You don't, don't No, remember? we're having fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what I wanted to ask you as well with coaching, and here's, here's the thing that I've realized also, is that maybe you can, you can relate, is that a lot of people are seeking you to give them the answers or you to like give them all the stuff, but really- you're just allowing them to uncover what they already have. Bingo. Right? Perspective. Yeah. How do, you, how do you articulate that to people that come in and think, well, you need to do it for me. I'm going to, or people that hire people is like, well, like give me the stuff so I can do it. Like how okay. do you change that? Because it's even like with Tony Robbins. I went to Tony Robbins and it's called Unleash the Power Within. It's, mm-hmm. it's unleashing what you already have. Nobody's giving you the thing yeah. or the success you're really you're finding it within yourself that somebody can pull out of you right, right. would you say that's a hundred percent a hundred percent and it's funny because one would say especially as I like a coach and a therapist that you are working yourself out of a job I am happy to work myself out of a job but the truth is that when we work with clients we help them to climb to the top of the mountain your coach, whoever you're working with, life coach, business coach, leadership coach, mindset coach, whatever, that's the, that's the spectrum we cover. But they should essentially be a Sherpa for you. You decide what mountain, you decide what path, and they should help you to, to chart your course. But they're not going to climb it for you, mm. right? You're going to climb alongside of you. And one of my favorite analogies is that with coaching, what we often do with our clients is we help them to climb to the top of the mountain. But the archetype of who we work with, someone like yourself, like myself, we're ambitious, we're driven, we want to make things happen, we just get in our own way, that when we get to the top of the mountain, we don't look around and be like, I'm so glad that's over, right? We often look, we get to the top of the mountain and we look and we say, 
awesome. If you can help me climb to this, can you get help me get there and there and there? And that is good coaching. Like that is effective leadership. It's not about you telling the client exactly how to do it. Yeah, there's a certain magic in shortening the learning curve. Sure. But the power and and the the plan resides within our clients. It's it's our helping your clients to illuminate their own strengths, mm -hmm. strengths-based perspective. And when we find some gaps, right, along like, okay, I want to get over there, but I need these resources, you help them get well-resourced. You don't be the resource for them. You help them to get well-resourced because you could be hit by a bus tomorrow and then what's your poor client going to do? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. But if they are seeing their own strengths and if they are getting themselves well-resourced and they're building their tool set, they become unstoppable. And, you know, I've been a psychotherapist for over 10 years and I've had the coaching company where we're in year six, headed to year seven. I've got clients that we've been working with since the very beginning. And why? Because if you can help somebody get to the top of the mountain, you can help them climb any mountain range that they, see, they set their sights on. And it's all about find, helping them unleash that what lies within. What makes a good leader? Like what makes somebody, somebody that can do that? can help mm. like, what are some traits right 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 so that's a great one it's funny because um so i've run mastermind groups for years and my my main mastermind group that i'm a part of i just sent them a picture that went out um on the internet and i'll shoot it over to you and it's a picture of a wolf pack and if you've ever learned anything about how wolves travel right they say that the the weakest five are in the very beginning because they're setting the pace mm -hmm. Then the strongest five are right behind them because they are, you know, making sure if there's any attacks on either side. Um, then you have everybody kind of like in, in the middle and then you have another strong group at the very back. But then where is the leader? Everyone thinks that the leader is at the front of the line. But the leader is not at the front of the line. The leader is in the back with eyes wide open on everything. And I think that's the best form of leadership is when we have our eyes wide open. And yet it's both leading by example, but you don't have to be in the front to be leading by example. Strong leadership is smart leadership. Strong leadership is delegation. Strong leadership is empowering others around you. Strong leadership isn't doing all the things all the time and working yourself to the bone. Strong leadership is finding the, the fluidity, the dance between, you know, ease and hustle, right? That's, that's strong leadership. Oh, that's such gold. That's because I think about it as well, coming from a hockey background and coming from a management background in hotels and bars. And I think about the people that inspired me and that was it. They inspired me. And it was always the people that saw what I knew was true, my talents or in my soul that they could see and they could, they would give me a shot and they would help me see that better. And I'd get inspired from that, that attention that they could see. And I always found that to be the people that could do that, could give, give me a shot, could see my gifts and highlight that. That was somebody that I was like, I, I like this person, this person. And they elevate, they inspire you to, to make change, to want to be better. Because right. they see something in you. So like, you don't want to let them down, but you're doing it for yourself. But at the same time, there's so many people that coaches or leaders that I've had over the years that 
they didn't give a shit. You can, they just don't, they don't really, they never really cared. It was about the fear tactics. It was about scare us into doing things. But then once in a while, one would come along that would be like, they'd see your gifts and they'd, and, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to fail this person. Like they see me, they, I want to, you know, and that expired, that inspired energies, what causes that inspired action. And it's a rare thing, but I, I feel like, like you're saying, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a dynamic to like be able to pull that out of people so that they can achieve greatness. Right. Right. Because the greatness lies within. And, and I hear what you're saying, like many times in the dance of, of coaching or therapy or, you know, working with our, our leaders, we want to perform for them or impress them or, you know, stay accountable to them, which is such good fuel because it's not about them. It's about how you get to perform for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what the catalyst is. The learning ends up residing within. The who we are ends up residing within. You can't unknow an adverse situation that you overcame. Even if you overcame it by way of support of a coach or a therapist or a trusted friend, like you still did that. And that power, that experience that is going full circle. That's what combats fear. Like, that's what helps us to get out of our own way. That's what helps us to remember once difficult, now easy. There are plenty of things that were really challenging when you did them and you thought, I'd never be able to do that. And now you do them like a cakewalk. Once so difficult, easy. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't unknow your own greatness. I love that. What is one lesson? that adversity has taught you? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. What is one lesson that adversity has taught me that I'm in charge? Even in the face of things that I couldn't predict or I'm thinking a whole bucket of WTF about, um, that I get to decide. I get to decide if my belief that life happens to me is stronger than life is happening for me. And when I believe that life happens for me, that's when I'm like co-creating with the universe in essence, as woo as it sounds, but like, it's like, what do I want to see happening? Okay. Well then I just got to rewire up here. Right. But when I feel like life is happening to me, I become a victim. So I would say that's kind of the, the biggest lesson in it is I'm in charge. Yeah. Well said. I, yeah, I've, that's, that's such a lesson that it's a, it's a game changer for people. You know, the victim of your life. I don't. No, I refuse. I and I was, and I asked myself, "Well, how is that working out for you?" (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. It's it's happening for you, not to you, and it's tough to swallow sometimes. But what are you going to do? You know, like charge. You're gonna own. You're gonna. You're gonna own your power. You're Mm gonna right. Yeah. Yeah. And Lance, when, and yeah, you're not wrong. Like when we have had experiences in life, when we've felt like the victim of our life or our choices, guess what? The only person that's coming to clean up aisle seven is you. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today and hanging out. This was so great. Good. Good, good. Happy to be here. I love your perspective. You got such awesome wisdom and, and what you're doing is, is great. And, you know, it's, 
I selfishly get to have these conversations so often that it's really, it's really helped me. And every time I have a conversation like this, it just, you know, helps me a little bit more. So again, thank you for being such a bright light. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks everybody. If you guys got value, share that, leave a review, hit that subscribe button on Apple. We, the episodes come out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Don't want you to miss out and make sure you check out Bailey. She's awesome. Doing amazing work. Follow her on Instagram and yeah, she's awesome. That's all I can say. Take care guys. Thank you.